So I'm going, for our sermon today, we're going to pull both of these New Testament passages together because together they bring so much. So I have a question for you this morning. Ask yourself, what am I searching for? So we're going to start in the parables and then we'll move into, uh, into our Romans 8 passage. But first, we'd like to share that last week, Ben and Jess with their family uh, were visiting family in Derry, Pennsylvania which is also, as God would have it, where I lived until I was 10 years old. And they were kind enough to take a drive past Keystone State Park and down the road where, uh, and past our farmhouse and set some pictures and a little video of the farmhouse where my, it is, where my pop-up, it was my pop-up's farm and it's where my dad grew up. It's where my family, well, we were there all the time. We lived there some of the time. Uh, but really special place, and so you know I could see you know the, the places on the porch where we used to climb up the poles and the uh, and the trees in the yard. You couldn't see much because there were so many trees, but I could see in my mind's eye the apple trees and the pear trees that we would pull fruit from, the, the front porch swing that we would sit on. So I just brought this whole flood of memories back, just this really really sweet um, sweet memory. The they would they drove by the the driveway, which was this big open area where we would sell the corn and some of the other vegetables that Pop-Up grew in his, in his garden. So we had the, uh, the cigar box, a little uh, cardboard cigar box with our money in it that we would, <laughs> that we would sit there and, and sell to people that would stop and come by. And there was this little sidewalk up to the house where there was this beautiful pussy willow tree and this buds just so soft right next to this prickly juniper that those little branches that would fall off would always get into my bare feet when I would go admire the tree. But so it was this just flood of memories. And so I could walk into the house and see the kitchen where there were so many smells and sounds and so many meals shared and look into the living room where we would watch um, uh, the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday nights and mm. the Olympics and all the things that we would do as families, as a, as a family. And in the corner of this farmhouse kitchen, there was a window that looked out over the yard where we had the swings and the trees and then beyond that pop-up's garden. Um, and then there was a door. And if you open the door, it led to stairs that went up into a bedroom. And at the top of that, top of that staircase was a twin bed that, um, that was mine. And I remember sitting on that bed. I was nine years old. I pulled out my hard copy, two-inch thick uh, Thorndike Barnhart dictionary and was looking up the words, I think I may have shared with some of you, looking up the words of the Lord's Prayer. Because I was trying to understand what this prayer was that we were reciting and praying, but I wasn't understanding. And one of so would walk through, walk through those words, you know, thou art, which is something, art was a class that I had in school, hallowed, thy, um, and the kingdom, and trying to understand kingdom um, at that young age. Like, what does that mean, his kingdom come? So have you ever searched and searched for something to really understand it or to take hold of something? So in these parables, Jesus taught that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was not what the world expected. They expected like King Saul, King David, like the kingdom with all the horses and the chariots and the, uh, and the power and the levels of people and separation of classes and um, just the power and authority that came with that, um, crowns. But Jesus taught about a different kind of kingdom, one that was marked by gentleness and love and peace and justice and mercy. But through these parables, he's teaching us 
um, some specific things about the kingdom that he wants his disciples to know and he wants us to know. And there are four, four things. And the first is that the kingdom begins from very small beginnings. Jesus came as one and then his disciples and then spread on from there. So it's the parable of the mustard seed, um, the teeny tiny seed that grew into this massive, it's actually a large bush that then just easily multiplied, like people would clear them out because they would overtake uh, overtake areas that would grow and to spread from a very teeny, 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 tiny beginning. Uh, the parable of the yeast all talks about two things, also talks about growth. But in this case, um, Jesus is talking about that small measure of yeast that the woman put into flour that permeated every part of it and caused it to expand and to grow. And in this time, many teachings around yeast would be contamination or something that, that was growing that was unhealthy. But in this case, Jesus is using it. He's, to, he's showing two things. One, he's adding to the growth that went, you know, that the measure of flour expands hugely because of, because of the yeast, but it permeates every part of that's what his kingdom, what he intends for his kingdom to be like, that his kingdom in us would permeate everywhere, uh, everywhere that we go. The next area is um, he's teaching the value of the kingdom, how priceless it is. And there are two parables, similar yet they're contrasting. So the first is the treasure in the field. So uh, in that one, I remember the first time I heard this parable, I'm like, why would he hide it and come back and buy it? Like, why didn't he stay? <laughs> that was my, my question the first time I ever heard this parable. Um, what I understand is that this person would likely have been a day laborer laborer, so working in the field, and he comes across, and anything that would be found would be the owner's, right? So he hit it back up, he went and sold everything he had because it was so wonderful and beautiful and priceless. And then the same with the merchant, searching for the pearl of great price, and in this case, uh, the merchant is not someone who is a day laborer, different class, they're more well-to-do. Um, they travel, like just a, a different class of um, class of individual in that time, and was intentionally searching, and finally found what he wanted, and went and sold everything to have it because it was that valuable. So he's teaching us a couple things here that, regardless of who you are, class, profession, whatever, the, regardless of that of that position or, or who. Um, regardless of whether we are intentionally searching and seeking with everything we have, or we trip over, <laughs> trip over his kingdom, or stumble on it and discover it accidentally, um, the response is still the same. To just see the immense beauty and the value in the kingdom, and be willing to give up whatever it takes to follow, to be part of his kingdom. So the response is the same. So. I wonder what that means for you or for me. Um, you know, we sang earlier about, you know, Lord, just keep making me. You know, will we make room in our lives and our hearts for Him? And we don't. When we talk about them selling everything they had to buy, to buy this treasure or to buy the pearl, we don't buy our way into the kingdom. We don't buy Jesus's grace and forgiveness and His love and His mercy and His goodness. We don't buy our way into God's family. Last week we talked about being adopted as sons and daughters in God's family. 
But what, what it does mean is there is something that we give up, something about our ways of doing things or thinking about things or responding to things or whatever those things might be. We've talked about the sinful, the sin nature that is just part of every human, part of the part of part of our makeup. Uh, what do we give up so that it is His Spirit that is in us, that dwells in us, can be in the lead, as we shared about last week in our Romans passage. And then the fourth thing is, and this is kind of an echo of last week's parable of the wheat and the weeds, is in the end, when Jesus comes back, there will come a time when there will be the division between the righteous, between the good and the wicked. Um, and that, um, and, and Jesus, Jesus will come. But in this parable, it's talking, this is the parable of the fishing net. Uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water, caught fish of every kind, and when that, the net was full, so it would have gone all the way down and dragged across the bottom and pulled everything in, then they separate. Um, then they separate and the angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing, um, throwing into the fire furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those passages are really hard to read. And that's not the here and now, right? And we'll talk some more about that in Romans. But we know that, um, that there will come a time in the end there will be, there will be that division that happens. Um, but there's a lot of, well, we don't know how much time there is actually, but we have today, we have this moment. So what is really awesome in this passage in 51, the disciples make a transition. Uh, Jesus asks in verse 51, do you understand all these things? And what did they answer? Yes, we do. Um, so if you think about, this is our third week in parables and uh, parables in Matthew 13 and in Romans 8. And in the other weeks, after Jesus has told the parable and they get away, and they're like, what did that mean? Like, explain it to us, help us understand. And he walks through these parables and he asks if they understand, and so they're making a transition. They're starting to learn and understand. Their ears, their ears are being opened, they're hearing, and they're seeking to understand. Um, so that's, that's, a big, that's a big transition that happens here. And then he goes on to say, that every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, they're disciples, we are disciples, becomes like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. So what does that mean? So it we know that Jesus came not to abolish the law and the prophets, he came to fulfill. He came to fulfill all of that. And so to take the gems of what, of what is old, all of it that God has given and teaches us through the Old Testament and through all of the people that came, and then the new, what we know about the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is helping the disciples to understand, that their role now is they're going to be teaching, just as Jesus is teaching, that they're going to be sharing his kingdom, uh, and that they have that, um, that privilege, that responsibility, and now the ability as he is equipping them to do that. Um, so what do we make of all this? So rather than teaching kingdom in the ways that people were expected, um, and even for us, like the kingdom of God can be pretty abstract. Um, but it, Jesus, what he's trying to do here is he's trying to bring it to real life. He's using everyday situations and examples. A woman making bread in her kitchen. Um, people fishing. Um, a seed out in the field that grows. So a day worker. Those kinds of, 
he's using everyday examples and everyday things, not just whole things that people think are holy or powerful or kingdom-like. He's using those everyday examples to try to bring it home, to bring it down, to realize that we talked about last week that that the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. That's the kingdom in us. And so we can be the leaven that goes out into um, wherever we are in our conversations with our family members, just letting them see the love of Jesus, not necessarily not from upside the head with the Bible, but being his love and his light and his peace in the world around us. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom all throughout his ministry. He talks about the kingdom of God is coming near. We talked about um, the, the first parable that we, that we did a couple weeks ago was the sower and the seed. God being the sower and the good seed, the seed in his word that he grows in our heart that multiplies in us, that, um, that multiplies our faith. He's showing us that the kingdom of God is near and he's showing us how it's near and that it's in us, that using these everyday examples and everyday people, that we can start to see the kingdom in the world around us. So do you search for him as you go about your day? I remember one of our, one of our old pastors used to always ask, where have you seen God move this week? And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, but then I started looking and, and looking for it and watching moves of God in my day, in our family, in just in the world around me. So Jesus translates for us that this is a that the kingdom is here and now in us, in all believers, in in this world now, and it is yet to come when He comes back. Um, so the kingdom of God is where His will is lived out in and through His people in us, dwelling in us, suffering in hope and peace amid suffering, as His adopted children, as His co-heirs, that same Spirit. His spirit is in us, right? It's not abstract, but it's personal. It's personal. It's the mustard seed, not mighty, but from tiny to multiplying. Um, with the leaven, it's not corrupt, but it is an agent of miraculous growth, uh, from small to abundant. Um, so the beauty is, I've loved walking through these two chapters side by side, the Romans 8 passage and, uh, and these parables in Matthew, these last three weeks because he like brings them together because again kingdom can seem so abstract so let's move to our to our Romans passage so Paul's been teaching uh, as we talked about the Holy Spirit being in us bringing his love and his light and his hope to the world around us and into the suffering of others uh, with care and compassion but with those words that are seasoned with salt so that everybody can hear and receive, as he talks about in Colossians. So remembering that we're his adopted sons and daughters, his co-heirs, um, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's jump into our passage in Romans uh, 8, 26. Uh, and I will read. And as I read, I want you to, if you read along with me or you can just listen, pay attention to God's promises in this passage, the promises that Paul is, is sharing here. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts, some versions say searches all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. 
and the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son that gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us? whom God has chosen for his own, no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day, we are slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, all of these awful things that happen in this world and in our lives, overwhelming, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a, isn't that amazing? What a gift Paul gives us here. So we recall just these last couple weeks walking, and if you remember Romans 8, began with, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Christ in us. He will lead us, um, as even as we wrestle with our sinful nature, but are now empowered through him. And we spent some time last week exploring suffering and what suffering looks like with him, suffering in hope um, in the world where there is still much brokenness and evil that happens. So these first two verses here, verse 26 and 27, are such a beautiful gift because there are times in our lives that we just don't know what to pray, or we are just beyond, you just throw up your hands like, I don't know God, don't even know what to do, and, and it begins with, he helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what we want to pray, but the Spirit prays for us, growing too deep for words, like that it, that he just, he he is with us in those moments, and the Spirit is interceding, and sometimes we don't know what to pray. Um, sometimes we can't see what the solution might be, but God searches our heart, and he's working with the Spirit, and all this is happening in us just when we move into his presence. You know, again, God never forces anything on us, but he wants us, and he invites us, um, even in those really hard times, even in the good times, especially in those hard times when we're feeling so weak and don't even know um, this version says that the Father knows all hearts, and it is a this knowing is just that intimate knowing. Um, he truly knows. Some versions, ESV and others, say uh, God who searches all hearts, he searches our hearts to know, because sometimes we're not even aware of some of the 
factors in there that are driving some of our responses. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, and the sorrow or the or the stuckness, right? Is that yeah. word being stuck? Or Jesus is stuck. Yeah, Jesus is stuckness. There we go. Um, but he he does that. Like he he knows our hearts and he searches it. And the Spirit is there, pleading on our behalf. He's interceding, the, a couple other versions use the, the term interceding. He's constantly working there on our behalf. So even sometimes we can feel like, you know, what's the point in praying? I don't even know what to pray. Right. You have to know what to pray. He helps us when we're weak. And he's, he's there interceding for us and just coming into his presence. God, um, I just need you. Like we've that second song that we sang today, Lord, I need you. Um, Teach my soul to rise to you when temptations or pain or brokenness or stuckness or whatever awful things come our way. Lord, help us to rise to you, to look to you, to trust you in the middle of those. He's interceding for us. Um, he's interceding. So as we search, spirit searches and God searching is all... He just works all of that together. And then we get to verse 28, which is such a wonderful verse. Sometimes it can be used as a platitude or um, can, can minimize people's pain, and that's really not what it's intended. I spent so much time just on this one verse this week in commentaries and, and things. And um, so I'll just read as we, in this version, does use God as a subject. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So some versions will turn it around and say just all things work for good for those people who love God. But it, it's God working here, and it's God working in us. He's working with us, and he's working through us, not only us but other believers around us, to bring good out of whatever awful things happen. Our, yeah, awful choices, awful things that happen to us, awful things that happen in the world around us, and we don't know what to do. Like it, it is a... It is just that constant, um, just that constant connection. So, but, but God is the one who's doing it, yes. and He works with us, and He works through us to bring good out of anything. Yeah. And I've watched God take tragedy and bring wholeness and Amen. life out of it. He does it. Like I've Amen. seen it more. I've seen it in our own lives. I've seen it in in so many other lives too. And I just trust that that is how He works. Mm -hmm. Not always in the timing that we want. It's hard. We walk through some really, really, really hard things. But he's with us. And he's working in us and through us and other believers to help work all of these things for good. Um, Amen. This talk about for those who love him is kind of an echo back to Romans 5 that we were in last month. Just on just the love of God and the hope and the peace that comes out of our love for him. And his love for us that we are justified by him, not through our works, not mm -hmm. through uh, what we've done or earned, but he breathes new life, and he gives us peace in a way forward, even from the beginning of the foundations of the world, and all creation, God had you in mind, he had me, yeah, he did, isn't that great, it is great, um, he had each one of us in mind for this time, in this generation, um, and he, he calls us to be um, to be with him, he wants us to be with him and to be used for his purposes. And then he goes on, having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And that's we've talked lots about, or explored a lot about being justified 
um, by, uh, by grace through faith. Um, and he gives us his glory and he helps us in our weakness. So then in verses 31 to 33, what shall we say about such wonderful things? Um, her great songs, and if our God is for us, but, uh, but yeah, so if God is for us, you know, who can be against us? You know, who dares accuse us who God has chosen as our own? Who then will condemn us? No one. That's even, a, that's a kind of an echo, a point back. Jesus illustrated that same thing in John chapter 8 with um, the woman who was brought forth um, by the Pharisees to be stoned, having caught in an adulterous situation. Um, and at the end, he's like, you know, who of those condemn you? And, and who is left to condemn you? And she's like, no one. said, neither, I do, neither do I condemn you. Like, he, he lived it out in his ministry, and he's teaching us here through Paul, um, where God himself has given us that right standing. Who will condemn us? No one. Christ died for us. He was raised for us. And is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand for us. And he gives us that place, and he's pleading for us. And then he goes on, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Like, hard stuff happens, and we question our faith sometimes. Um, but he is with us, and despite all of those things, he will give us victory. And goes on to say, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing. His grace is personal. His love is personal. His work is personal. His kingdom is personal in each of us. That mustard seed can flourish, uh, can flourish and grow. And then it goes on to say, you know, do, do we live in this confidence that is in verse, what is this, 38, um, 38 and 39? Do we live in the confidence that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, that there is nothing, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love? Amen. We know that sin can separate people from God, but we know in Jesus, he has, right, he, has, he has made us right, put us in right standing with God. Um, and our work is to try and allow him to lead us um, and put to death those sinful natures uh, about us. So, but going on to say that no power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, this is such good news. We have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. We have his spirit living in us, just wanting to lead us. Will we pay attention to it? Will we set down those things? You know, what are those things that we are needing to... Um, to give. So we have three questions to reflect on. So first, what is our response? Do we live as if, as if the Spirit is in us and is in the lead? And do we believe he's interceding for us? Or are we striving and still waiting and searching for other things that fill us but leave us empty or dissatisfied or living in fear or trying to build our happily ever after or walking the other way? But he is right here. The kingdom of God is near. His spirit dwells in the hearts of all believers, and he's present with us every time we turn to seek. He's, he's with us anyway, but he engages as we engage. Um, I think it's in James that says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Like, he is right there. Mm -hmm. um, so he is with us, his kingdom is in us, and is coming. So second, um, will you seek him? What are you searching for? Do you notice him around you and in the world around 
growing, I've been in church my whole life, and I've loved Jesus my whole life, and I thought I knew him, I wanted to know him, I tried to know him, I didn't really know how, and I literally stumbled, fell over the treasure, and life has never been the same since. That was 10 years ago. Um, wow, it's 10 years ago, like this week. Um, that's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Um, but will we, um, are, are we paying, are we attending to that? Do we notice? Do we know um, that he gives us strength and weakness, hope amid suffering, peace regardless of circumstances? Do we know it? We might know it here. Are we experiencing it here? Trying. Yeah. And how can we draw close to him to do that? And then third, what will we give away to follow him again? Not to buy our way into the kingdom or into his grace or goodness or forgiveness. Um, we don't earn it. So what does it mean to let go of things? Um, if we're I'm talking about some of those things like our own ways of my own patterns of living or responding when maybe my mom or a sister says something that hits that hits that little bit of nerve. Like, do I respond in my way or his way? Do I see his vision of what's going on or my own? <laughs> um, but so those um, those patterns, um, those ways of coping to get through difficult things, um, to allow us to lead, um, to be led by His Spirit. Um, so we're not just giving them away or giving them up. We know that Jesus took all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our struggles with Him on the cross. Amen. So it's really it's like not only so much of what will we give, what will we sell to, to give, what will we give away, what will we um, set down, but it's really giving it to him, giving it back to him. We keep picking him back up. He's taken it long ago already for each one of us. Amen. Yeah. So I think that the biggest thing to know about that piece is that it's not transactional. It's not a transactional, it's transformational. It's transformative. It's growing into the likeness of Jesus. It's allowing him to grow us into his likeness in all that we do. But as we seek and search him as our treasure, he gives us wisdom for our decisions. We didn't have time to go into the um, King's passage on Solomon's uh, request of God uh, as he became king um, yeah, and asked awesome. for yeah for a, a listening and understanding heart asking for wisdom, spend some time in that this week. But he will give us wisdom for our decisions. He'll give us perspective that we don't see ourselves. He can help us stay grounded when everything around us feels like it's crumbling or shaking or changing and we're just trying to trying to figure it out. He will help us. He will help us. Nothing can separate us from him. So as we spend our days and our energy and our thoughts searching, what are we searching for? And is it him? Do we live, do you live, as if you believe his word? Amen. That he will do what he says that he will do, that he's faithful, that he loves you, he sustains. How will you let his beautiful, wonderful spirit who is present with us lead us, lead you, or will we run ahead? Let's do that too. How is he using us to grow his kingdom? His king, Lord, your kingdom come in us here and now and in eternity when you come back. Your will be done with us, in us, through us, your way, for your purposes.
glory, trusting that he is working with us, in us, and through us to make good come out of all things. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom come. Let's pray. Oh God, you are with us. You are present and you are loving and you are strong when we are weak and you are kind when we're unkind to ourselves. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the joy of walking these three weeks through Romans 8, um, understanding your promises as Paul teaches and through these parables where, um, where you just walk us through ways to see your planting in our lives and hearts, helping us to look at the world around us in a different way, helping us to understand the abstract concept of your kingdom in this world now, today, in us and through us and all believers and where you would have us take part in that, Lord. We thank you that you give us the privilege of being yours. Thank you for adopting us as your sons and your daughters. Thank you that it is your joy and desire to lead us, to love us, to help us when we are weak. Thank you for interceding us, interceding for us, for pleading for us when we don't know what to pray. Lord, thank you that you can be our firm foundation no matter what is happening in our world. God, we thank you that you choose to use us, that you choose to be with us, that you want to work in us and through us. Thank you for the privilege of loving one another, of loving you, and helping others see your goodness and your beauty and your kindness and your mercy, your grace, your love, your justice, your compassion. And help us to experience it ourselves, too. Sometimes we get so stuck we can't even see it. So thank you for loving us, for being with us, for the privilege to worship together in this church, your church, that you continue to um, provide for and sustain. Um, we are so thankful. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.